Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and I had him read verses 11 through 13 together because that really kind of culminates in why we should be, what we should do once we know what is said uh, previously in this passage of Scripture. The book of 2 Peter is written by the apostle Peter, and it really the challenge is, is to wake up, be alert, the Lord is coming again. There are a lot of scoffers in our day. There's a lot of sin in our day. And there's this, this world is looking for a sentence. It's coming down. This thing is winding down. And in a few days, we're going to see Jesus by death or by the rapture. And he is coming again. And every Christian who lives for Jesus is going to have that conscious awareness that in a few days, you're going to see him. That's a game changer. Jesus is not just somebody out there somewhere. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day, you're going to stand before him, and so am I. And I think it's going to be sooner than later. Now, many people say they've been saying that for years. You don't want to be in that group, okay? Scoffers are a reality. And the Bible tells us what and what are the reasons why people say, ah, he's not coming back. That's what they've been saying for years. There's a reason why we say that. There's a reason why we think that way, and Peter's going to challenge us with that in just a few moments. But really, in this passage, it speaks of three worlds. Three worlds. The world that was before the flood, the world that is, that's where we live right now, and the world that is coming, a new heaven and a new earth. That is what God is going to explain in this passage of Scripture. There was a world that was, there's a world that now is, and there's a world that is coming. I think it's wonderful to think about prophecy. But some people, they go down deep and they come up dry. If it doesn't affect your living, you failed. Prophecy is not just for information. It's not just for speculation. It's for motivation. So well, I believe God's coming back. You know, well, I, I tell you what, if you say that, it's going to be proved in how you live your life. It'll be proved in how your checkbook. It'll be proved in your time management. It'll be proved in your conduct, your entertainment. Everything about you is going to tell you and tell others if you really do believe that the return of Christ is imminent and he's coming back. The Bible says, occupy till I come. He said, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But he is going to describe the world that was, the world that is, and the world that is to come in this passage of Scripture. I want to implore you, if you would please, to look with me in verse number 1 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Here's what the Bible says, and I thank you for being a Bible-believing people. If you don't have a good Bible, get one, bring one, keep one with you in your, in your, at your workplace, keep one with, with you at your home, and reference it, and love it, and enjoy uh, the, the communion that you have with the Scriptures. This second epistle, Peter is referring to this second book of of Peter. Beloved, the folks he's writing to, he loves them. He says, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance. He says, I believe you to have a pure heart and a pure mind, pure motives. But if you have a pure motive, I want to remind you of some things that you and I need to remember. I think most of us here today, some of us came in here, we're not, really don't have a pure mind. 
Our mind is all caught up with other things. We're more interested in where we're going to go eat dinner or what we're going to eat for lunch than we are about what the service is. But I think large in part, most of you are here because you really, something inside of you has illuminated your heart to be with God's people and to assemble. Some of you do so at the risk of your own health. You said, you know, I know maybe not safely and I've been advised not to come. My, my kids don't want me to come or my folks are here, but I, I want to be in God's house. And thank you for coming. Because you have a pure mind, you have something inside of you that wants to hear. He says, I'm going to stir up your pure mind with another factor, and that's remembrance. I want you to remember some things. Verse number two, would you look at that if you would, please? That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, um, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. I want you to remind you what the Word of God says through his prophets and through his apostles. Verse number three. Read it with me, would you please? Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days. Okay, he said, just know that while we wait for the coming, by the way, Peter was in the last days. You are in the last days. I am in the last days. And D.L. Moody was in the last days. Billy Sunday was in the last days. Um, uh, all the different people that uh, came to know Christ, we're in the last days, and he's going to tell us how God thinks. To God, he works in time, but he's not regulated by time. Okay, he doesn't, he doesn't, think, of, he doesn't think of a 24-hour day the same way you and I factor things. He works in time, but he is not bound and limited by time. He'll say later on in verse number 8, that a day is with the Lord as what? A thousand years, a thousand years as a day. That's where the, some, some of the foolishness of this day-age theory of, of, of creation, that, that God created the world in 6,000 years. A thousand years for every day of creation. That's ridiculous. He's not saying that. He's using a simile here in, in English that it's like unto. It's like it's just like a day is like a thousand years. Like if someone says, you know, well, you're strong as an ox. Okay, well, you're not an ox. It's a comparison. You're tall as a giraffe. You're not six feet, 16 feet tall. You know, he's fast as a, a deer. Well, he's not a deer. He's using a comparison. He said, day is the Lord's a thousand years. So he, is, he works in time, and you can see even Jesus he said in John chapter 9, I must work the works of him who sent me while his day, the night cometh, when no man can work. So he understood time was going by. And he wants you and I to understand that. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Because you have a wicked day in which to live. Paul had a wicked day to live. And people say, you know, what's this world coming to? It's coming to God. <laughs> It is being squeezed down, and, and it's going to ultimately come to God. It's going to come to the rapture of God's people. It's going to come through the day of the Lord, seven days of Jacob's trouble. Seven years, I say seven, seven days, but seven years of a tribulation period. And then the Lord's going to come back, and he's going to deal with the world, and then he's going to set up a thousand years, millennial reign, and then we'll ever be with the Lord. And certainly, I don't understand all of that. I don't understand how we'll all exist in that whole thing. A lot of things I don't understand. I'm glad I got a God like that. But I do know what little bit I do understand. I'm glad I'm going to be there with him. I'm glad I got a God who doesn't mind telling me the future. He's already there. 
But what he tells me about the future is, once again, it's not just for information for me to enjoy and learn more about only. It's not just for me to argue with my friends and speculate. It is, for, it is a form of motivation for me to say, listen, John, get with it. Do something for me. Live a holy life. Quit fooling around with this world and getting caught up and entangled with wrong or questionable music and questionable uses of your time and getting caught up with finances and, and, and worshiping and following, getting interested in things that do not matter for eternity. Quit holding grudges against somebody on the walking around on two legs that's hurt you. No one's ever hurt me as bad as I've hurt Jesus. If he would release me, I should release them. So quit, quit arguing about dumb stuff. Quit finding issues in your marriages that are just dumb. Wasting time, hurting the name of Christ, hurting your children because you have been, you're selfish and I'm selfish and we, we want our way and we want our things and I don't like what that happened to me and all of this junk. Don't do that. Life is too short. You're here on a purpose for a planet, and all that God's going to do is for purpose. He said, but listen, just remember there will be scoffers in the last days that will have their opinions, and they verbalize, they're, a lot of, they're very loud. And the reason they're loud is because they want to keep their same lustful desires. Not necessarily sexual in nature, although it leads to that. Immorality is a pit that, that people fall in because they don't do other things right. You want to listen to whatever music you think and think it's all moral and things of that nature, and you're going to find yourself in the pit of immorality in time. You want to rebel against God and don't think he deserves your tithe, doesn't think he deserves your, your investment, you don't need to work on this, you're just foolish about that, you're going to find yourself in a, in, a, in, a, in a bad way. And he says here, the scoffers usually, the people who are most uh, critical loud, they got their opinions against God about His coming, about, his, about folks who motivate us to live for right. They got some sin, and it's, the, it's their lustful desires that propagate such loud mouth obstacle, obstacles and opposition to the truth. That's what the Bible says. Look at verse number 4, would you please? The Bible reminds us here in verse number 4, he says this is once again, this is all reminder, reminding them what Jesus said what the apostles' doctrine was, and what the prophets said. Here's what they'll say. Where is the promise of his coming? For th since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Here's what they say. They say, look, all we're doing is just living and dying. And God has no working in our present lives. This is a uniformitarianism that is, is very challenged. And, of course, from that came evolution, that God has no uh, involvement in creation, that he has no involvement in our present-day lives. It's just like, you know what? It's just a big cycle. Weak people who believe in God, who trust God, who try to live the holy life, who try to take roles of, of, of holiness, they're just wasting their times. God doesn't really care about that. All God cares, if he gives you about anything, he just cares about the heart. He doesn't care about what you do. And I think that is a, that's a problem today. And it's, it's slipped into my heart and your heart just because since we were kids, we've been sitting in front of the boob tube. We've been sitting there. We've been programmed by our teachers, our society. People say, whatever your heart feels like doing, just do it. If something feels so right, it couldn't be wrong. 
Just do whatever your heart feels. And, 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 not to, and certainly, you don't have to worry about God. He understands. If he is involved at all, he always understands how you feel. This is what they're going to say. This is what they're going to say. They're going to say, look, things have just happened like this for all of eternity. This is just, they're just, it's just, it's just a cycle that we're in. Would you can look, look with me in verse number five. For this, they are willingly, would you use the word, the next two words, they willingly are what? It's, it's something to be ignorant of something you don't know, but here's, here's something they know, but they choose to, to ignore. The Bible says when they knew God, they did what? They glorified him, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart becomes darkened. He said this, even the scoffers, even the people said, you know, God doesn't matter. You don't need to do that. You're, you're way too strict. You don't, you don't need to go soul winning. You don't need to be involved. This is just, all it is is about money. All they want you to do is just to control you. Listen and tell you something. Those loud mouths have been around for a long time. And then people see it and they say, you know what? They know it's true, but they're willingly ignorant of these things. They say, you know what? I know it, but they overcome it. There's no one born an atheist. God does not believe an atheist. Everybody who's an atheist has to become one. God says he's the light that lighteth every man that cometh to the world. Everybody has the law of God written on their heart. Even if they've never picked up a Bible, God has put that inside of us. He showed us that he's real through creation, through conscience, through circumstances, through consequences of life. He shows us he's real through Christ, through the canon of scriptures, through the calendar that we go by. 2020, since the Lord Jesus came and went, everything points to the fact that there's a God. But people know there's a God, but they're willingly ignorant of those things. And it seems like they really got loud mouths when they talk about it. Tell you something that Jesus did when they had a loud mouth. He just kept asking them questions. You ask me a question, let me ask you a question. Of course, questions paint them in a corner. But let's look at the next verse. The Bible says in verse number, verse number five, for when they were willingly ignorant of it, of, of that, by the word of God, the heavens were of, of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, so this is the second this transition here, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I want to give you this first part here real quickly if I can. He said the world that was, that was created by God. And by the way, it's very clear. How did he create the world? According to that verse right there. By his word. The Bible tells us probably the most foundational word in the, words in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form. When he created it, it was without form. It was not round as we see it now from our, from our uh, satellites. It was without form. It was empty. It was dark. God had not yet put plants on the planet. He had not yet put animals on it. It was empty. And it was dark. Then two things happened. Number one, God's spirit moved upon this blob of empty, formless, and, uh, and dark blob of water. He said, uh, first of all, the spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. Number two, the Bible says, the Lord God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. That's how someone gets saved. We're all created by God. I had a, not an argument recently, but I, I, I confronted a man about salvation. He said, you know what? We're all God's children. You know, that's, that's true. We're all God's children. I said, how do you know that? But we're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. We've been created by God. But we're not all God's children. You have to be born again to be God's children. So how, how is someone born again? Number one, the Spirit of God has to do a work in their heart. Number two, the Word of God has to be explained to them. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by. So whenever someone hears the Word of God, that's why it's so important that you be soul winners, that I be soul winners. why it's important that we take gospel tracts and share them with people and talk about Christ and Ask people to read the Word of God and tell them about what the Bible tells them. Because that faith brings, brings uh, that, that hearing brings faith, and then the Spirit of God begins to move. None of us came to Christ because we we're so just, just so wonderful. We came to Christ because God's Spirit began to draw our hearts to the Lord. Began to show us some things. Even in our darkest moments, God's Spirit was there working in us and challenging us. Even answering our prayers sometimes. Before we get saved and he helps us, he brought us help and comfort. Even though he couldn't do so from the inside, until we get saved, the Holy Spirit moves in. He responds to us and then the word of God and then the light comes on. He says, listen, the word of God, the scoffers, they forget. You need to remind yourself of how the world was. What was the world? Number one, it was created. It was a world that was made by God. You're made by God. But the world was made by God. Number two was marred by sin. Wherefore is by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all of sin. Now sin has become a problem. You know what the problem is in the world today? Sin. What the problem was in the first world? Sin. It was made by God, but it was marred by sin, and then it was moved in judgment. God decided he would flood the world. He would flood the world. He would deal with it. It's an interesting thing. I'm so glad for the patience of God. So glad for the long-suffering of God. Remember trying to witness to a man, his name was Ted. Every time I tried to witness to Ted, he said, what are you going to do? When's your God going to come back and fix all these problems, all these kids? And he would do that with a Budweiser on his, on his, on his table. Getting, getting tipsy in front of me, and he would say, well, if your God's so great, why don't he come down right here and fix all the problems in the world? Do you know why God didn't fix all the problems in the world right then? Because he had gone to hell right then. Thankful that later on, I got a chance to share the gospel with him in a hospital bed when he was scared to death, and he, I believe he was moved with fear. <laughs> and possibly believed George. But if, if he would have came right then, God is a patient God. You think about this and in that world of flood, how long did, did Noah work? How long when God began to begin his, how long did it take him to build that ark? 10 years? 12 years? 15? How many know the answer to that? How many is it? 120 years. On the backdrop of hammers tinging on nails and movement going place on, a, on an ark out in the middle of a dry ground was the judgment of God waiting. Methuselah. He was Enoch's boy. 
And he was the longest living human being ever to be known. He lived, according to the scriptures, 969 years. Do you know what his name means? When he is gone, it shall come. When he is gone, it shall come. That's what Methuselah means. I think Bible scholars can tell you that when Methuselah died, rain started coming out of heaven for the first time. I imagine Enos, every time he got a little sick, he said, hey, son, you okay? You all right? Be careful now. <laughs> we got to take you to the doctor. wonder why he lived so long. It's because God was patient with man. He was trying to get another person on that ark. He kept that door open until Methuselah died, and he closed that door. And unfortunately, after all the preaching and all the preacher of righteousness that Noah was, and you can see it in... 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, he preached righteousness for all that time with no converts but his own wife, his three boys, and his two, three daughter-in-laws. But why would God let him do that for 120 years? Why would he let the man who lived the longest on the planet live so long? Because he is not slack concerning his promise. This some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering to us for some of you, you're as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. You're not saved. You know it. God knows it. But for the grace of God, you'd have been in hell yesterday, and God has patiently loved you and worked with you. you. You know you're not saved, and you need to deal with that. And you're here today, hearing my voice, because of the, of the grace of God and because of the long-suffering of God. Some of you are watching on live stream. Once again, and thank you for watching, but you're not saved, and you know it. You've, you put your stock in religion. You put your stock in other things, and you need to come to Jesus. While his long-suffering allows you, some of you are listening on the radio, and you need to get a checkup from the neck up and realize, I need to get saved, and I do not want to have the door of the ark closed. And me spend eternity separated from God. God is patient with us. The world that was, it was created by God. It was marred by sin, and it was moved to judgment with the flood. But now God turns the pages and says, now let's talk about the world that now is. And tonight I'll talk about the world that is to come. Let's look real quickly, if we can, at the next verse. Verse number 6. Whereby the world that then was, that's speaking of the before the flood, was overflowed with water and perished. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, that's where we live. We're in that now, right now. By the same word, the word that formed the world, are kept in store, reserved unto what? Against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. The day, one day, is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Verse number 9, read it with me. I'll make a few comments, and we'll dismiss. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Here the Bible tells us that the, the time that now is, it will be marked by three things as well. It's been filled with scoffers. I'm amazed 
at the end, the, the, the anti-Christ movement of our day. The callousness of our society. People that seem to be the richest, the smartest, the most intelligent. People who ought to know better are willingly ignorant of things that are just as clear to me as, uh, as the nose on my face. But we're filled with scoffers. Number two, we're still filled with that same sin. Same wickedness. Nothing's new under the sun. It's just getting more complicated. We think that we can fix the world by education. We've got a lot of education going on. We've got still a lot of uh, uh, smart heads and empty hearts. Intelligence without even an understanding. Their foolish heart is darkened. We think we can change the world by technology. We've got more technology going on today, and we've got more loneliness, emptiness, people walking up and down the streets, burning buildings, all with cell phones in their hand or their back pocket can get any kind of information they want on a cell phone, but the technology does not give them the peace they need. We're not going to win this thing through education. We're not going to win this thing through socialism. We're not going to win this thing through technology. Because we are we live in a world sentence. But not only have scoffers in sin, we got a, we got a sentence upon us. And he flooded the first world, and what's the, what's the way he's going to deal with this world? We saw it. Stored up. Revealed by fire. I, I, I'm not a scientist. Dr. Cowling could probably explain this to you, but you understand now that, you know, with the, with the, they used to make fun of, how is everything going to burn? How's water going to burn? How's dirt going to burn? Try hydrogen bomb. There's things they understand now about the neutron, the protons, and, and the nucleus, and all those things, and the speed of those things. You know what the Bible tells us? One day that will be dissolved. To dissolve is the same word to be let go. When you begin to separate those entities right there and God loosens that, it's the same word, dissolves the same word that he said to Lazarus. Loose him and let him go. It's the same word that John the Baptist, whenever he said, I'm not worthy to dissolve or to loosen the shoe latches off the Savior. Same word. They say that fire is stored up in this world. We think of things are not seen, that things appear if things are not seen. Someone says, this pulpit's fire. The, pulp, the, the platform is fire. Your pew is fire. Your car is fire. And every one day, one day, God's going to bring a judgment to this planet. I was listening to, to a uh, reading after another commentary recently, and, and the commentary said, I don't think God's going to allow anyone to push a button and uh, cause the nuclear bomb to destroy the world. He'll take that for himself. One day everything you see, everything we worship, our cars, our houses, the nicest place we can live, and all the things we put on, all the nice clothes, you're walking in fire. I'm, I'm patting on fire. We're walking on carpet that's fire. laid on a mattress that's fire. It's got fire stored up inside of it one day to be dissolved by an almighty God. And that's coming. You say, Pastor, well, so what? Someone said indifference is one of the major problems in the world, but who cares? <laughs> God didn't give us that information about the old world, the world that now is, and the world that is to come, 
just so us, just so we can walk and leave our room today and leave this auditorium and walk out and say, well, that was a good information. I learned a lot about that. God wants us to be motivated by it. We'll talk more about that tonight, but let me just read the verses if we can. The Bible tells us if we can, please, in verse number 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. He's saying this is what's going to happen one day. Everything will be tried by fire. Seen then, this is the so what, that all these things shall be dissolved, let loose, and destroyed. What manner, what different way of persons we ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness. The word manner there kind of has the inclination of being out of this world way. You know what the Bible calls us? Strangers and pilgrims. We're supposed to let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He says, with all this knowledge that we have about the old world, about the world that now is and the world God has to come, and you can see the world he has to come in verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, it's a promised world, look for a new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Verse number 14, read it out loud as we conclude. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things. You want to look for a reason to live a holy life above reproach? You want to see a reason why you ought to be careful what your eyes see, what your ears hear, what friends you hang around, why you should be a separated Christian? Read verse 14. It ought to motivate us to live holy and devoted lives for the Lord so that others will avoid that fire. You know, when that fire comes, friend, I do not believe for a second I'm going to be here. I do not believe God says he wants to deliver those from wrath to come. He's not interested. He wants to take you out of here if you're saved. If you're not saved, you're going you're gonna to not only face that fire of judgment, but you're going to face eternal separation from God. If you're not sure about that, I want to encourage you to get it taken care of this morning.